host, Emily. I am glad you're here. Today, we're stepping away from the Muppets to explore some of Jim Henson's other creatures who inhabit a maze that is ruled by quite the sexy Goblin King. Yes, dear listeners, today we are discussing The Labyrinth, starring David Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. And luckily in my life, it's not hard to find individuals who appreciate the movie as much as I do. My younger brother and I often recite the You Remind Me of the Babe chorus back and forth at one another. Just in random settings, I'll just look at him and go, Hey Nathan, you remind me of the babe. And he just can hop right in at any particular time. In fact, I cross-stitched that very chorus for him as a wedding present. Yes, I did just reveal another layer of Emily Weird. You're welcome. We're just racking up the layers here on the pod. So I thought it would be fun to bring a labyrinth enthusiast onto the podcast with me today to expand the conversation. Welcome back, Watson. Yay! Yay! It's my favorite movie. <laughs> so excited. So that, well, that answers the question I was about to ask you. Random question you're unprepared, unprepared for. I do try to give her questions in advance, so it's just not all off the cuff. Uh, but where whereabouts does Labyrinth fall in your favorite movie list? I would say it's definitely top five mm-hmm. because I rank favorite movies based on most rewatchable. Mm-hmm. There are movies that have made a huge impact in my life that have, you know, like Schindler's List is a phenomenal movie. I don't need to watch it no, ever it's again. It's not my top 10. Like, yeah. I appreciate it, but it's not my top 10. It was art. Is the labyrinth art? Not really, uh, but yes, <laughs> in a way, it's not high art cinema or yeah. something like that, but it is a movie that anytime it is on TV, anytime I come across it, it makes me happy. Yes. So for that reason, I say definitely, I would say top three even, but those sort of shift depending on the It's the same for me. I kind of went between top three, top five, uh, somewhere it falls within there somewhere. Where, how many times a year would you say you actually watch it? Is it, it's a, yeah, I was going to say it's at least a yearly thing. Yeah. at, At the very least, it is definitely on my like sick day movie list it makes me feel better if i'm stressed Mm -hmm. if it's on tv if my best friend texts me going i'm watching labyrinth i immediately go well okay we're doing this now (laughs) i'm in and i sit down and i watch it and we text each other back and forth going would you yes (laughs) all right so we i wanted to keep kind of the same formula that we have been doing this season so we are going to go through the summary of the movie but i have questions interspersed for watson that we will answer together um are you ready yes all right let's dive in so the movie starts with a bowie song called underground with an an owl flying around the intro credits we're going to kind of find out eventually spoiler that we are to assume that that owl is actually the goblin king who's kind of been watching her he's in disguise i'm going to read you the lyrics because i find them equal parts creepy and seductive (laughs) are you ready yes it's only forever not long at all right there creepy lost and lonely (laughs) No one can blame you for walking away. Too much rejection, no love injection. That's a questionable. <laughs> <laughs> that's a questionable lyric. Right? It was the eighties, though. Was. There was there was some corniness in there. Life can be easy. It's not always swell. Oh, just love it so much. <laughs> Don't tell me truth hurts, little girl. There's the creepy part because mm-hmm. it hurts like hell. But down in the underground, you'll find someone true down in the underground. A land serene, a crystal moon. Ah, ah. (laughs) It's only forever. It's not long at all. Lost and lonely. That's underground. Underground. Thank you for keeping the ah, ah. You're welcome. (laughs) 
<laughs> Welcome. I like to stay true to the lyrics. So after the song, we cut to our girl, Sarah. We're going to call her the protagonist of the story, but I personally feel there's a good case for calling her the villain. Uh, Sarah is dressed in her, I don't know, her madrigal best <laughs> book in hand. She's reciting lines from her favorite play to her dog, Merlin. And this rather, it's a beautiful park. It's mm-hmm. a, I was like, where is this park? I want to go to this park. And she says, for my will is as strong as yours and my kingdom is great. And then she forgets the next line. Remember that. If you've not watched this movie, though, we need to have a conversation, you and me, dear listener. Um, because she always misses that line. And then there's a clock tower that chimes at 7 o'clock. She sprints home in a rainstorm because she's late getting home and she's supposed to be babysitting. Okay, first question. What would your reaction be if you saw a young girl all alone with her dog talking to herself in a park wearing a <laughs> flower crown and a princess dress? I mean, given what I see at a regular on a regular day at the library, and I don't mean patrons, I mean like children's librarians wandering around dressed like That's mad true. scientists. I feel like it's just sort of the norm at this point, and I'd be like, there's probably a thing happening. All right. But you're in your neighborhood, and because it's a very cute town too, very mm-hmm. neat houses, and then this girl just walks by, <laughs> this grown girl, not like dress, a five year old. Yeah. She's 16. She, yeah, in a dress. She's 14. No, the stepmother says. No, she's 14 in real life. She's okay. 16. Yes, yeah. sorry. We're about to get there. This I part didn't of the know conversation. that. <clears throat> she does not look for a team. No. Also, I'd kill for her hair. Like, yes. she has fabulous She hair. does have fabulous hair. Have you ever been in love with something so much that you dressed up and, like, worked at memorizing it? Um, yes. Oh. Not in terms of dressing up like the characters, but in, like, merch. Like, okay. I, growing up with Harry Potter was a big part of my teenage years. You know, we went to the movies, we wore the shirts, we did the... Became a part of your identity. Exactly. And we would have in-depth conversations for hours about different characters' motivations and what we thought was going to happen in the next book. Um, I never went full, like, get some Harry Potter robes. I thought about it. Um, But there was definitely a lot of merch and, like, earrings and and shirts and pajamas and, and... See, way too much. I didn't as a kid, but here we are on a podcast where I'm doing kind of that same thing, talking about the pop culture stuff. And so I am wearing a labyrinth. You did t-shirt wear a labyrinth right T-shirt. Makes me happy. There was I was at um, actually the groundbreaking event for a local library was having a new branch built, and one of their wonderful librarians, Erin, she I turn and I say hi to her, and then I look at her. I was like, oh my goodness, she has a labyrinth dress on. <laughs> I was like, yes. Oh. Did you find out where she got it? I need it. I know. Um, all right, so moving on, because we haven't really even gotten started <laughs> in the movie. Sarah has a fight with her stepmother. She's angry that she has to watch her baby brother again and storms upstairs. She's very dramatic. She Just is. storms in. Dad has baby in his hand, and Sarah passes him on the staircase, and the and the stepmom is like, oh, she just, I'm always the evil stepmom, no matter what I say. And dad's like, no worries, I'll talk to her. He turns to go up the stairs. And then all of a sudden, Sarah is perfectly dry, even though she's been in a rainstorm. Her hair is done. She's changed her clothes. She's sitting in the mirror, putting lipstick on and reciting this, this play again. What was the dad doing? He went up to talk to her and mom has like her purse on her coat in her hand has her purse ready to go like they have a reservation yeah because sarah was late yes yeah i'm not quite sure what (laughs) i i noticed that this time i was like wow wow that was quick anyway um so dad knocks on the door and in a very teenager mood she yells at him like oh 
Leave me alone. You know, she's very dramatic. And then she discovers that her stuffed bear Lancelot has gone missing in her bedroom. She blames the baby. The baby that is like 16 inches tall and can't walk. He took it off her display in her in her room. So next question. You're a parent. Knowing what you know about Sarah. We've, we've met Sarah for three minutes now. Would you leave her in charge of your infant child? I mean... Probably. I mean, she's very dramatic, but she is a teenager, and I feel like that's not that far out of the norm. Like, I can't tell you the number of times when my parents, like, try to talk to me in the room. I'm like, God, just leave me alone. <laughs> yes. And the dad says before they leave that, like, they already put Toby to bed, and that, and having done numerous babysitting jobs for my aunt and uncle, where the kids were pretty much in bed when I got there, and I sat that's there and true. watched TV for four hours, it's a good way to make some money. <laughs> it is a good way to make some money. Like, I feel like she's not, I wouldn't. I'd trust her not to, like, walk away and leave the baby playing with a knife or something like yeah. that. Like, it's, Toby's in bed. But I also don't know if I'd trust her to listen out. Well, she does end up, well, she only walks in there, though, because she's mad about the bear. Uh-huh. Even though he's crying. So, Toby's crying. Yeah, his name, yeah, the baby's name is Toby. He's crying, and so Sarah goes in and kind of yells at him about the bear. And then she's like, you want a story? Fine, I'll tell you a story. And so she starts to tell the story about a beautiful young girl who is terribly put upon by her stepmother, who always wanted, you know, always wanted her to watch the baby. Um, what- to be fair, evil stepmother does have that rather nasty line about the, like, I'd like it if you had a date. You should have <laughs> dates at your age. And I was true. like, woman, <laughs> it's unnecessary. <laughs> That's true. What... No one knew, though, is that the Goblin King had fallen in love with this girl and had given her certain powers by saying a few choice words she could make the baby disappear to the Goblin City. Well, and that's, then we see goblins! That's what Sarah does. So as she's telling the story, we get this glimpse of little goblins that appear to be hiding in the bedroom, her parents' bedroom. Um, and she says the words, turns around to go, and then there's an abrupt silence. Toby has now disappeared. And then there's a flurry of motion and standing in her parents' bedroom is the very Goblin King. She's kind of been dreaming about Jareth, who I assume is the Goblin King from the play, which I wish... We'll get... Wait. Nope. We'll get to that. Get to that. We'll okay. get to that. Um, so Sarah kind of takes this all in stride. A, a strange man is now in some very tight clothing. <laughs> very tight And pants. some very wild hair is now standing in her parents' bedroom and her infant brother is gone. Question. Mm. Um, well, wait, interjection first. So in this speech that's about to happen, Jareth tells Sarah to go back to her bedroom, play with her toys and her costumes, acknowledging the fact that she is still, an, in a sense, a child, mm. right? Mm-hmm. A teen, not an adult. Yet throughout the movie, there is an undeniable, and boy, do I hate to say it because, like I said, she was 14. <laughs> This was shot. But an undeniable sexual tension between these two characters. I I get needing Sarah to be immature, but what are your thoughts about casting a very grown adult as the Goblin King and then having this sexual tension built in? I think what they were going for is the immortality of him. Like, So he was always going to be quite a bit older. And upon rewatch, what I've come to think is... There is no explicit mention of it. There is no, like, written romantic relationship. I no. think we bring a lot of that to the movie because it is David Bowie. 
But the, but then Jennifer Connelly, I think, plays it as such. I think she does because she would be sort of infatuated with this this Goblin King that's in her books and in her stories. But then I think they need to change the speech at the end of the movie because a grown man saying "I will be your slave" is mm-hmm. just that starts to get yeah. a little problematic. All right, so. What would your real reaction have been if all of a sudden your baby brother's gone and there's a strange man standing there? Well, I, he didn't quite just stand there. He transformed from an owl and exploded in a shower of glitter. And he threw a snake at he her. He did throw a snake at her. That wasn't nice. Well, technically, he tried to give her the pretty first and then turned it into a snake. Yes. But I think... It, there should never have been a snake involved. No. I mean, there would have been probably a brief moment of terror, like, oh my God. But also, if it was a character from a book that I loved or a thing that I loved and she seems to like know that it's him, I mean, he did just transform from an owl to a human. So I suppose that sort of indicates that there's something going on here. But I think I would have been in awe. I would have been like, oh my God. I, I think I would have screamed and run down the stairs knowing me. The girl who still at the age of almost 40 checks all the doors five times because I'm convinced there's somebody hiding in my very small house mm-hmm. when I go to bed. I, I would have been, or I would have thought, oh my goodness, I've had a mental break. If that, if that was that Harry Potter is all mm-hmm. of a sudden standing in front of you like, whoa, no, 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 uh-huh. what's going on? Oh yeah, I think me now would think that. I think me as a preteen, teenager, pre-teen, child would have been like, oh my God, it's real, I knew it. <laughs> I don't know how I would have reacted. But the very handsome, tight, pant-wearing Goblin King offers her a chance to get her brother back as the landscape changes and Sarah is now standing on a hill overlooking a maze. Find the castle in Goblin City at the center of the labyrinth in just 13 hours or Toby will be lost forever. Without any other options, Sarah starts her journey. First, she meets Hoggle, an unhelpful little man who hates giving a straight answer, but eventually shows her how to get into the labyrinth. Odd meeting of Hoggle, him peeing in a in a little pond. Yeah, and it just seems like an odd choice. I don't know. There could have been any other number of things he was doing as she approached him. Without thinking through a strategy, she starts running headlong down a corridor, and after roughly two minutes of jogging, uh, knowing she has 13 hours potentially ahead of her, after two minutes of jogging, she gets frustrated and starts to throw a temper tantrum. Then she meets a little worm with the most adorable English accent who invites her to come inside to meet the missus, and the worm helps her, in a sense, kind of shift perspectives to see a hidden opening in the wall. And because Sarah does not know how to ask the correct questions, she's directed away from the castle instead of directly toward it. Question, what would have been your labyrinth strategy? I, I thought about this a oh, lot. <laughs> me too. My strategy would have been to climb up yes. and go along the tops of the exactly. walls because then you have a perspective uh-huh. and theoretically, like if you start running, you'd be able to hop over from one wall to the or next. Or it at least, can, if you figure out which side you need to be on, it should just kind of Yeah, you should be able to, to mm-hmm. scurry along. So yeah, I think that would be... My, my plan. Because again, that, take you that also as far have, as you can take it. Yeah, you can see the castle, mm-hmm. especially if you were, because she can see it before she starts the labyrinth. So if you get on top of the wall, you'd be able to see the castle, you'd be able to know where you're headed. And you'd be able to see turns. If you notice mm-hmm. all of a sudden you walk in and it just looks like it goes on forever in any particular direction, you'd be able to see turns. So mm-hmm. I agree. Although I maintain that opening in the wall was not there. 
Oh. It wasn't there because and she gets the... really frustrated and she slams her hands into one side of the wall and turns around and does the same thing on the other side and then slumps down against the wall. So she had just hit the wall directly across from her, which is where the worm has her then walk. Walk. So I think the wall wasn't there the, at first. And but then it's it that shift in perspective that, hey. Uh-huh. The rules don't really apply here. No, it doesn't because nothing's fair. Mm-hmm. As Sarah navigates the ever-changing labyrinth. Jareth is surrounded by his goblin minions in the castle. Toby is apprehensive by all of the odd stimulation, to say the least, and it seems like the perfect time for a song. Song and, and dance And that's when number. we get dance magic. And I'm going to say to you, you remind me of the babe. And what what would you babe? Do? The babe with the power. What power? The power of voodoo. Who do? You do. Do what? Remind I'm me of the babe. babe. I do, saw do, my babe. Do. Okay, I'm going to stop there. Not going to do it. <laughs> I apologize for that. Did this song move the plot along at all? No. Absolutely not. No, it did not. Uh, was it seemingly solely included to let Bowie be Bowie? Yes. Yes. Although, is, is that the first time they mention that Toby will become a goblin? I, I can't remember. I don't know if I he said it in the house or if he just kind of No, said he says it out loud because he says you have 13 hours to solve the labyrinth or your baby brother becomes one of us. Uh-huh. But then during the song, he calls him a goblin babe. Yep. So, uh, depends. Um, is it one of the most memorable and perfect 80s movie songs ever? Yes. I have true. never watched that movie in my house or apartment, possibly even when we saw it in the park, without getting up and dancing. Oh, yes. No. Like, it's I'm sure required. we did. We probably sang it very loudly in the park when we saw it. Probably. It does, however, sort of appear that Jareth is, at this point, not invested not only in Sarah, because that's what it kind of feels like, that this whole situation came about because of Sarah. But he also seems to want to keep Toby around. He likes the idea of this small child becoming a goblin. There is a fake baby during part of the dancing. Well, because he throws him six feet he in the air. It's kind of hilarious and terrifying all at the same, because the hair, I don't know. It's clearly Watched not Toby. closely. It's clearly not Toby. It's a little scary. Um, so we agree that Dance Magic is one of the greatest songs in cinematic history. Absolutely. All right, so Sarah had the bright idea to mark stones with lipstick arrows to remember where she's going, but little creatures keep coming out and turning the stones around, and we start to get Sarah's obsession with things not being fair. Uh, she's kind of whiny. Then she is confronted with two doors. In front, the doors are two or kind of four guards. Uh-huh. One, They're on top of each other. <laughs> one always tells the <laughs> truth and one always lies. Sarah uses what she thinks is logic to pick a door. Rate Sarah's surmising about which side was lying and which side was telling the truth. Did you follow her her logic. I did. I followed the logic, and it wasn't until years later that I sort of figured out what the problem was, like why it didn't work the way it was supposed to work. And I think it's that she was assuming that they'd then be following these rules. Uh And to be fair, if one of the guys says, one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies... What if he wasn't telling the truth? Yeah. What, what if, if he was the what liar? What if he's making home. that up? Uh-huh. What if, you know, the wall was there and then it wasn't going to be there? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's weird that things change in this labyrinth all the time and we've seen that. So, I mean, if the one of us always tells the truth and one of us always lies thing was legit, her logic, I think, makes sense. If one of them's lying, if she asks what the other would say, like, I followed it. Did you notice in the movie, um, it's happened twice now because she picks the right door. Mm-hmm. She always turns right. I did not. With that worm, she turned right. There, Mm -hmm. she turned right. When she gets to the other doors with the knockers, she goes the right right door. She always turns right, which you think you'd want to just mix it up a bit. Uh huh. Because you want to go forward, so you think you go like right, left, right, left. 
Since we don't know what's through the other door, really, there's no telling if she chose wisely or not. She could have ended up in the same place, for all we know. She immediately falls down a hole, but is caught by some helping hands, which is my <laughs> version of hell. A whole bunch of hands just holding me, holding on to me. Um, they very ask her, talented it, faces, They are though. very talented. They ask her which direction she would like to go, and she chooses down, dropping her into an oubliette. Would you have chosen up or down? Up. I would too. Up, you at least have a vague idea. Why would you want to go underground? And you know the castle is up. Yes, uh huh. Yeah, I never quite understood that other than just like, well, I guess we're doing this now. (laughs) Even though maybe down would have been the more comfortable way to travel. That's true. You just drop instead of them having like haul you up (laughs) inch by inch. Very uncomfortable. Gazing in his crystal ball, Jareth is a little disturbed that she's made it that far, but he has a plan. Hoggle is set to meet her in the darkness to lead her back to the beginning. Um, and that's where she finds him. Sarah bribes Hoggle, though, to instead take her at least back outside, take her as far as he can. But then Jareth appears to taunt the teen girl a bit, ask her how it's going, and to punish Hoggle for his double-crossing him. When Sarah claims the labyrinth is a piece of cake, which you just you just don't do, no. you don't taunt the person that's holding your fate in their hands, Jareth, <laughs> Jareth ups the ante, by stealing time from her and sending a cleaner after her, this kind of sharp mechanical machine that cleans the tunnels they've been roaming around. With seconds to spare, Sarah pushes down a wall and finds a ladder that leads her back to the surface. That's where Sarah starts to have a breakthrough. One, she realizes that life is unfair and there's no point wasting effort whining about it. Finally, thank goodness. And two, it's time to start asking the right questions, which she does immediately with the wise man, who is so boring he puts himself to sleep. Then she saves Ludo, a giant monster who has a mighty roar, but is actually a teddy bear who can talk to rocks, and finds herself confronted with having to choose between two doors once again. Uh, This time to converse with a pair of door knockers. They are maybe some of my favorite characters in the whole thing. Oh, I don't know. I feel like we skipped over the wise man's hat very quickly because he's my favorite. He is. He is fun. It's so stimulating being your hat. (laughs) He's so annoyed having to sit on this man's head. Um, And so she has to knock and the door will open. She again chooses the right door and is strolls into a lush forest with Ludo. Hoggle has kind of gone off on his own. He kind of wants to get away from the situation. He basically to escape any fear that Jareth might think mm-hmm. he's helping. Just a few yards in, though, Ludo falls through the earth and Sarah is alone once again. Cut to Hoggle, who is nearby and can hear Sarah's screams. He rushes off to help her, but is stopped by Jareth, who instead gives him a poisoned peach to feed her. As she spends most, or it could be a nectarine. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a fruit, a poisoned fruit. As she spends most of her time turning in circles and yelling, she gets nowhere. She's just like, Ludo, Ludo. It's like, well, just keep going, friend. Keep going. Um, you're short on time, honey. You're short on time. She stumbles into a gathering of fireys, furry red creatures who sing yet another song, who, which systematically, while well, systematically disassembling themselves. You are not a fan of the fire. I am not. I, I find it to be the least interesting part of the movie, partially because I feel like the the special effects are the worst in mm-hmm. that scene. It, the, the bla- they didn't use green screen. They used black, vel- black velvet mm-hmm. behind them. And I feel like it's just a little more obvious in it, that scene. It is. And I don't know. I just something about it. I'm like, I don't like you guys at all. I It was the part, though, I remember most as a child. When I look back... Mm-hmm. Because I've, I've watched this forever. Mm-hmm. 
forever. Thank goodness my parents loved the Muppets and Jim Henson because that's all we watched when I was little. But I have vivid memories of that scene more than any other scene, which is especially when she, spoiler, uh, she climbs up a rope because Hoggle has saved her. And then the heads are just like still singing, coming yes. up over the thing. I always remember that. So the, uh, they lose eyes at a particular time. They get their heads flung around. Legs are used kind of as croquet mallets. She's understandably afraid, runs away, but is followed. And then she kind of appears at the labyrinth wall again. Hoggle drops down a rope to help her. Unfortunately for Hoggle, Sarah kisses him as a thank you. And that's a big no-no. Jareth said... Don't if ever let her kiss you, no. If Shiver kisses yes, you, I'll turn you, you into a prince yes. of the land, land of, of stench. And the two are immediately then sent to the Bog of Eternal Stench. That's where they find Ludo and then are promptly stopped by Sir Didymus, a fox-looking creature who has a trusty canine steed named Ambrosius, who is guarding a bridge that leads to the other side of the muck. The bridge breaks and Ludo is forced to call his rock friends to save them, seeing them all safely across the muck, including Sir Didymus and Ambrosius who join the team because they're just delightful. Hmm. And because Ludo bested him in combat. That is true. He's very impressed by Ludo. Who didn't really do anything. <laughs> just hit a tree with a <laughs> stick. Yes, stick. Back traipsing through the forest, Sarah comments that she's hungry and Hoggle offers her the peach that Jareth had gift- gifted him. She takes a bite and falls into a hallucinatory nap where she floats away in a bubble and attends a masquerade ball so that Bowie can sing another song. Absolutely. We can't. Yep. The ball is filled with humans wearing carnivalesque masks. Like creepy carnival yes. masks. Like the, even the one that is like the doctor. The with plague the long, doctor. Plague doctor yeah, with the long the nose. Very like old school Rome carnival-esque yeah. mm-hmm. creepy. Um, they're waltzing around. Jareth and Sarah, who is now dressed up in a very large poofy white dress. It might be the biggest sleeves I've ever seen it in my is. life. I mean, Anne Shirley would be ecstatic. <laughs> they share a dance. Before the whole scene gets really extra trippy. And Sarah remembers what she's supposed to do. She sees a clock. And she shatters the illusion with a chair. Breaks the bubble. Would you attend that ball? Absolutely. I too. It is one of my great regrets that I do not live the type of life where fancy masquerade <laughs> balls are a thing. That is true. Like, if we can find a way to have that be a library fundraiser, I would just be like, I can die now. Yes, where you put on the full costume <laughs> yes. and the mask. And the mask. Yes. The whole thing. It happens in movies it all, does the time. all the time. Where are these people? Where are these balls? They do make you think. That masquerade balls are just a thing that people attend. Uh-huh. And I have never come across one. Of course, I don't hang out with people with that much money. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it, maybe it, that's just it. They just don't tell me. They don't tell you. But it's the that's where I think you have the most sexual tension is because she's kind of looking for him at the yes. ball. And he's standing with all these other women. And you're like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And then the song is great. It's oh, fabulous. That's a lucky, good song. So then Sarah finds herself in a junkyard alone where she meets... We're going to call her a junkyard lady. I don't know if she mm-hmm. had an official name. I think that's, yeah. That's fair. Who takes her into a, r- a room that looks suspiciously like her own bedroom. And Sarah, for a moment, thinks, hey, I've made it home. This is great. It was a dream. It Yay. was a dream. I'm very innocent. There's a lot of moments that are kind of Wizard of Oz-esque at times to mm-hmm. me. Uh, she thinks she's returned home, but suddenly remembers that time is running out and Toby's fate is in her hands. That's when her friends find her and kind of like... Fling their arms through the trash and lift her out. Haul her out. 
Luckily for Sarah, she's now at the inner gate. Just before the Goblin City, just mere steps from the castle. There's a big battle as our little posse tries to evade an attack from Jareth's goblin army. And finally, Ludo once again calls his rocks, rock friends to save the day. Giant boulders start rolling through the city. It's a great scene, actually. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> did you know Warwick Davies was one of the goblins? I think I did know that. I did not know that. I just, um, I love the, the little, the cannonball guy where like a uh-huh. rock falls on him <laughs> as he explodes and he goes, I hit something. Yes. <laughs> nope. Uh, it's, the, it's the most ridiculous army too. Because you're like, you probably could have just walked around them and been fine. Uh-huh. They, they, they were they're not like intimidating at all. Two and a half feet mm-hmm. tall. Yep. Uh, so the giant boulders start to roll through the city, stopping the advances and giving the group enough time to make their way to the castle. Once at the castle, Sarah says her goodbyes. She knows this is the part of the journey. I have to go alone. That always happens in these uh-huh. adventure movies. It does. No, I have to go alone now. I have to do this. This is something I must do. I know. For I me. don't know why you. <laughs> I'd be I, like, I, I need like, help. <laughs> Come with me. Do not leave me alone. And then she chases Toby through a trippy Hogwarts-esque stairway yeah. that is constantly moving, goes nowhere. It's very much the M.C. Escher yes. stairs yes. in 3D. Absolutely. Like, they're fabulous. And, of course, while Bowie sings a final yes. song, Within You. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting title. I move the stars for no one. We realize that Bowie has... I'm going to believe has has affection for Sarah, has fallen in love in some sort with Sarah. He wants her to stay, and she's faced with one last challenge, a confrontation with the Goblin King himself. <clears throat> he confesses that everything he has done, he has done for her, stealing the child, reordering time, turning the world upside down. I ask for so little. Just let me rule you, and you can have everything you want. It is sad how that you're kind of like, okay. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> As he tries to win her over, she begins to recite the lines from the play that she had memorized, finally stumbling once again on the line she can never remember. Just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will be your slave. And then she remembers what's the line. You have no power over okay. me. And with that final line, the Goblin King is defeated. Toby has returned to his crib, and Sarah is once again back at home. She rushes upstairs, checks on her brother, goes to her bedroom. Parents come home, and then she has a party. She has a party in her bedroom with all of her Labyrinth friends. As you do. As you do. And apparently parents can't hear this. So there's like magic soundproofing. I need to get a hold of that. Yep. Not a, not, you know, no worries there. Your, your teenage daughter's just having a rave in her bedroom with a bunch of puppets. Mm. Few interesting tidbits about the movie. The owl in the title sequence is computer generated. Of course, the first attempt at a photorealistic CGI animal character in a feature film. That's not bad. That's not bad. I mean, it it was obviously CGI, but it was impressive. The the amount of movement they got done. It was a little plasticky looking. Yes, and this is where um, I start to get a little sad, and I've talked about it a little bit throughout the season that. I think the pure magic of the Muppet movie, Muppets Take Manhattan, Muppet, you know, the great Muppet caper, it was all engineering. It was all puppetry. Everything Mm -hmm. they did, they had to figure out how to do. And now you have CGI kind of sneaking in. And I think to a certain extent, it kind of steals that magic. Mm -hmm. It just changes. It changes what they are able to do. And it's, to me, it's not as real. I think that's, I can see that. Some of the effort is gone, which I kind of hate. 
The various things that Jareth does with the crystal balls um, are not camera tricks or any other kind of special effect. They are actually done by choreographer Michael Moshin, who is an accomplished juggler. He was actually standing behind Bowie with his arms out. That's what fascinates me the uh-huh. most because I've seen behind the scenes stuff on that. So he was he knew how to like run the balls back and forth over his arms and do all the tricks. But the fact that he had to do, do it, it crouched behind <laughs> Bowie and not able to see uh-huh. what he was doing is impressive. Like how completely also, blind. I want to hope. Bowie. I know. I just was imagining that today. I was like, oh, you're just you're just hugging David Bowie from behind. <laughs> Think you ever did that randomly? Just like hi. <laughs> In the scene where Toby, who is Toby Froud and Brian Froud, of course, um, helped create some of the visionary things of especially the Dark Crystal, he, when he is seated on Jareth's lap, the baby has a fixed and hypnotized look off camera as Jareth murmurs evilly into his ear. In fact, Toby screams so much during the many takes of the scene that something had to be done to keep him quiet. Fortunately, a crew member had a glove puppet sooty. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the duration of Jareth's speech, David Bowie had the sooty puppet on one hand out of shot, gently wiggling to distract Toby. Aww. The child was entranced, hence the hypnotic stare and the perfect silence. I, I like love that. that it was him doing that, uh-huh. too. Not, not a crew member offset. Yeah. Michael Jackson, Prince, and Mick Jagger were considered to play Goblin King Jareth. Jim Sting, I believe. Yeah, Jim Henson preferred Sting until his kids convinced him that David Bowie, who had reached his peak of mainstream popularity with the Let's Dance album, would be best suited to it. Bowie had wanted to make a children's movie, liked the concept, and found the script funnier and more amusing than any other contemporary special effects movie. This was actually the last movie that Jim Henson directed Mm-mm. before his death. And one of the reasons why Hoggle is always making groaning noises between lines was to keep his mouth open as much as possible so that the actress Sherry Weiser was able to look out of it. Oh. This was also, last final tidbit, the movie filmed next door to Legend, which Another meant the favorite. cast and crew of both movies often intermingled. Brian Henson happened to meet and develop a crush on Mia Sarah. Years later, the two met again and married. Aww. They did not stay married, but they did. I mean, I think everybody should have a crush on Mia Sarah. There's just something ethereal about she her, is, something yes. like, oh, fabulous. Well, a few last questions for you, Watson. All right. Um, because we recently just went to to Chicago to see the podcast live, my favorite podcast, Podcast with Knox and Jamie. They do something called Smooch, Mary, Kill, mm-hmm. which is just a kinder way to do the other version. <laughs> um, so Smooch, Mary, Kill, The Bog of Eternal Stench, The Oubliette, and The Stairs That Go Nowhere. Uh, smooch the oubliette. I don't mind being on my own. I'm okay. I'm okay with that, depending on whether or not I get Netflix and YouTube down there. <laughs> it, it's all right. It wasn't that bad. Um, it seemed pretty well protected. You, you might have weird handy guys dropping random girls into your house occasionally and be like, no, go yeah. away. But there was the really nifty door. <laughs> there was the like nifty door. If you could find the nifty open door. Open and popped anywhere. Um, definitely kill the bog of eternal stench because like nobody needs that. No. <laughs> That's disgusting. And marry the stairs that go nowhere because they are a work of art. I think they are phenomenal, very trippy, but just such a cool. Yeah. Like I'd just be wandering around them like I'm upside down. I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I think I might switch the oubliette and the bog of eternal stench. Only because I think after a certain point, your nose would just... Oh, you just go nose blind? You just go nose blind, and you wouldn't be able to smell anything. Plus, if Sir Didymus and Ambrosius are there, I think they'd be a fun hang. Mm -hmm. So, and you'd be outside. I think being underground would bother me, especially Mm -hmm. if it was dark. That first room she falls into was pitch black until Hoggle brought some light. And be truthful, 
What would you have done at the end of the movie when the Goblin King said he would be your slave? I, first instinct is just like, yes, (laughs) because I find David Bowie very attractive. However, I disagree with you that he fell in love with her. I think he's manipulating her because I sort of always got the insinuation that Toby was not the first one that he's done this to. Yeah. That he has collected kids like this and he's used to winning and he's not used to losing and Sarah's making him lose and so he was turning on the charm and the manipulation and all of that. So that's where, as much as I love that the idea that he did fall in love with her and I might be willing to take whatever scraps that David Bowie gave me because he's David Bowie. It's never mentioned, is it? What if that is true that this is not the first time? Let's go back. Let's let's rewind a little because I forgot to go back to this. Okay, we are to assume sort of that whatever play she is reading is a play similar to the the thing in a sense that she is living out with him mm-hmm. because the whole speech at the end it all ties to him because if it didn't then you have no power over me wouldn't have really meant anything at the yeah. end of the movie. So one, I kind of wonder what was in that play and how she didn't know how, uh-huh. how it went if she was so obsessed with it. Like, what what was happening there? And I forgot where I was going with this because we are drinking cider. <laughs> It'll come back around to me. So there's there's that element to it. So I, and I do, and it, but it, they never say what happened, if this happened before, what happened to all those other women? Did they just go back to their life then? That's what I kind of figured. The, the, that, because and there's he not hanging the, around. The babies into goblins. And there's that interesting moment at the very beginning when Sarah tells Hoggle her name and he says, that's what I figured. Like, like I'm Sarah. It's like, yeah, sure. That's what, that's what I figured. Like, yeah. this is not a new concept for them. Like, and the goblins were ready for battle. And, like, they, none of them seemed shocked to see Toby. They weren't like, oh, my God, what is this weird pale goblin, not goblin creature? But then Hoggle confuses me because he would have, they would all be playing the same part over and over and over again. Maybe. Or, I mean, not exactly the same part because all the girls would be, they'd be different, different. people. But. I don't know. That's interesting. And that would also explain the play. That is if true. If a girl had a gotten girl. back out. Because <laughs> she'd have to be committed. Because how do you explain the loss of your uh-huh. your brother or your yeah. child? Not unlike the Once Upon a Time Alice in Wonderland show where she comes back out and is like, there's a talking rabbit and a thing. And Dad's like, and you're going to you're, the asylum we're now. There is you're crazy a pants. book I really like. It was It's an old um, teen book. And it is called, oh shoot, you keep talking while I... Okay, what am I going to talk about here? Hold on. All right, well, as I said, I don't, I would, part of me really wants to stay with the Goblin King, but I feel like he's mostly just manipulating her, and I don't think I would be able to trust him. I find that very sexy. I think it would have, she's still not asking the right questions. I'd be like, all Uh right, let's talk about this. Yeah, let's let's break this down. What would my day-to-day look like? Like, would I rule with you? Am I Uh going to be a goblin queen? Because then, okay, let's talk about this. Can we send Toby back, but I stay? Because I obviously don't like my stepmother very much. Well, she's kind of a bitch. There is a... It was called The Hollow Kingdom by Claire B. Dunkel, and it's about a goblin king who falls in love with a girl. Slightly inappropriate still. Um, but he finds out that she she has to ask him for help in a similar way, mm-hmm. and in return she has to marry him. 
Ah. And she goes underground where the goblins live. Uh, but turns out she is part fairy. And so going underground is very hard for her because she needs the sunlight mm-hmm. um, and the moon. And so it was really good. I actually just reread the last half not too long ago because I like to do that from time to time. Go and read just snippets uh-huh. of books. You just like open it up wherever and start rereading. I love that. All right. I think that's it. We can agree to disagree. <laughs> or I agree. I don't disagree with you. But I also think they wrote it weird. Mm-hmm. And they, I don't want them to ever touch this. Do not yeah. remake this no. movie. No. That it's would be like horrible. when they, they were first, somebody made noises about remaking Princess no. Bride. And everybody, even Carrie Elways, was like, the heck is wrong don't with you? It. Just create something new that maybe has a similar uh-huh. feel to it. That is perfectly fine. And see, I don't think you can remake this because of CGI. It would not... Yeah, it wouldn't same. have that feel. And mm-hmm. I don't feel like there's an artist like Bowie right now. Harry Styles could possibly Maybe. <laughs> I think he wants he's to not, be Bowie. Yeah. He's, he's trying not very quite hard. as out there, though. It, it's a mix of, like, incredibly out there and incredibly sexy, but also in a very non-human way. I yeah. mean, in between Ziggy Stardust and The Man Who Fell to Earth, it was almost like he was trying to not be human. <laughs> It's very strange. And then he goes and sings Love Christmas him. songs with Bing Crosby. I know, which is the... I really want to be in the room when the two of those met, because yeah. knowing what I know about Bing Crosby... And that's what always fascinates me oh. about some of these artists, that it is very clear that it's a role they are playing. So mm-hmm. what are they like behind closed doors? I'm always uh-huh. interested about that. I was just... I was talking to you. I just watched the Ricky Gervais stand-up special on Netflix, and he is a crass, kind of harsh dude... And I, I imagine that's part of his personality, but then you wonder behind closed doors, like if he's very mellow and just like, no, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool. It's fine. I was, I, comedians, I feel that way the most about because it's, I know you're performing. I, you're, yeah. you've created a personality mm-hmm. and that, you know, that's your brand. And I get that. But at the same time, it's like, you can't always be like this, right? Like uh-huh. che- I could not be around Chelsea Handler. I think. No. She well, it's almost like a manic episode when they're on stage, mm-hmm. they're feeding off all of that and they're going and the adrenaline's going. I can only imagine. I remember one of the guys in my high school who, who was very like that. He could be on, he was in the theater with us and he would keep everybody entertained. He was cracking jokes, he was doing bits and then he would go home and sleep for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Like it was exhausting, but he loved it. So that's, I kind of feel like it's yeah. like that. It's, it's interesting to me, the people that can do that. I mean, I can, I, I have been... Cheryl at work thinks I'm an extrovert, and I think maybe I am, but I'm kind of a fake extrovert. I can turn it on when I have to turn it on, and mm-hmm. then I feel like that. Like, no, I just want to go home, and I shut my doors, and I don't really like to talk to people. And uh-huh. But I do at times feed off of people, too, so not in a weird that sounds vampirish but well when you're going like when we do a fundraiser or a big event there's a lot of yeah adrenaline that kicks in and you go and you go and you go and then the next day i'm like i'm gonna stay in my quilt burrito and (laughs) watch the labyrinth thank you very much it's my happy place well thank you for joining me watson don't worry dear listener she will be back we're going to be talking about keanu reeves in the not too distant future i think you're after season six we'll be talking about keanu reeves if i remember correctly the other love of my life i know i know uh but that is it for today next week we'll be talking about the dark crystal and jim henson's storyteller something i absolutely love i fell in love with john hurt and jim henson's storyteller and that man's voice is phenomenal it is, it is. and then that was where i met him 
And then every time I, it is his voice. You can just hear it. You're like, oh, it's John Hurt. Yeah, like when he popped up in in Merlin uh-huh. as the dragon. Like, I want to know what that conversation was too. Like, can you record a couple of lines for yeah. us every couple like, of weeks? We need your voice, dude. We need your voice. But only like thirty seconds worth. <laughs> yes, they probably recorded for the whole season. It took them a day. Uh-huh. He's like, we're good. Pay me. Well, thank you so much for listening. Really, it is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals, just like you, dear listener, who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who just really doesn't know what they're talking about, can join the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook at A Bit of Fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today, and I will see you next time while we go watch the next episode of our Turkish soap opera.